Good morning. I feel very honored to be up here and give this message that the Lord has been working on me for the last four months at college. So as I begin, I just want to give a recap of what the past semester has looked like for me. For those who don't know, I'm currently enrolled at Ozark Christian College, and I've just finished my first semester as a broke, stressed college student. And it's been nothing but a dream. But I had major expectations for what I thought Bible college was going to be like. When I took my first tour at Ozark just around two years ago, I envisioned it to be with Jesus literally every second of my life. And yes, that is very, very correct. The first couple days at Ozark were nothing short of amazing. I could not stop smiling in my Old Testament classes, and I enjoyed living with the people who shared the exact same passion as me. It literally was a dream, everything that I had hoped for. But soon enough, waking up for 8 a.m. Bible classes seemed like to become a chore. Serving at places like Good News Productions became a requirement. And worshiping became a discipline at Bible college. Weeks turned into months, and my time at Ozark quickly all became about the mission rather than the master. Soon enough, life got a ton more challenging than I could even imagine. Life threw a ton of challenges at me that I never would have imagined I would have to handle. Things became a chore. I honestly felt lost. In a storm, I might say. If you have your Bible, I would love for us to turn to Matthew 14. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 33. These are the main section of verses that I would love for us to look at. And this is a passage that is very dear to my heart this past semester that the Lord has really been speaking to me. And it is probably my favorite story of Jesus. So I'm going to read verses 22 through 33. I believe it will be on the screen right here. Verse 22 begins, Immediately Jesus made the disciples go into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. We dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves against the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. While Peter was in this massive storm, Jesus called out to him to walk in faith. But as we can see here, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, and the waters of the storm began to take him in. This is what I'm aiming to tackle this morning, keeping our eyes on Jesus. When I was coming up with the title for this message, there was no other title that I had thought was more perfect than keeping our eyes on Jesus. Cliché, corny, I know. But keeping our eyes on Jesus requires focus, initiative, and passion. And that's something I've realized in the past four months of college. Merriam-Webster defines focus as subject of attention and main point of interest. Hebrews 3.1 states, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. The author here is encouraging us to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Safe to say that in my very first mo- few months of college, they were nothing but that. It's almost safe to say that I was all about the mission rather than the master. That's my first point to focus on is we're supposed to focus on the master rather than the mission. 
If there's one thing that I've noticed about Bible college, it is a very, very dangerous place. And what I mean by that is I could do all the assignments, go to all the classes, talk to all sorts of people, serve the Lord in any capacity I could think of or dream of, and I could still be unmoved in my relationship with Jesus. That's exactly what I caught in at the first four months of Ozark. And it wasn't Ozark's fault. I was just so focused on completing the mission, doing this, saying that, working on this, and helping with that. I was basing every little thing off of doing, doing, and doing. One of my professors stated in a a message at chapel service once that the thing that scares me the most is that I or we don't know God. We know things such as church meetings, church vans, potlucks, sermon writings, praise teams, Sunday schools, and systematic theology. We as the Christian church sometimes get so caught up in doing the mission just to do the mission rather than soaking it in as part of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you may hear the word mission, you might automatically ask, what is the mission? Well, as a Christian, we are called to love, to serve, to rely on Christ, to trust him, to obey him. And sometimes we just get caught up in doing that just to do that as a religion aspect. So is it about the ministry or the master, strategy or strength? missions, or the master. We are made to know God. The things we do are in honor of what Jesus has done. We serve at places like Good News Productions and so many others because of what God has done for us. We set up tables after service in honor of our Lord. On the screen, I'm going to be providing a ton of scripture that ties right along with this, truly focusing on the master who Jesus is. Matthew 6, 24 reads, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Romans 12.1 goes right along with that, reading, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A couple books back in 1 Samuel 12, verse 24 It reads, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. These are just a fraction of a fraction of what the Bible is telling us what to do in service of the Lord. Because of the gospel and the love of our great Lord, we do things like Sunday school and service work and mission trips. Just a couple years ago, my grandparents offered this opportunity to me to go down to Mexico with them. And if you don't know, my grandparents, they serve at a camp down in Mexico where they serve the people of Mexico to bring the light of Jesus to them. And at the time, as my 14, 15-year-old self, I was so excited about it because this was an opportunity to check something off my bucket list. I could go to another country. I was so focused on that. But do you see what's wrong in that situation? I was so focused about crossing the borders of countries just to cross something off of my bucket list rather than having a unique and special opportunity to serve the Lord in the country Mexico. God has sent his one and only son to die for us, to save us, to redeem us, to renew us. He did that to bring us into relationship with him. Bringing this back to Peter walking on water, Jesus called out to him, just like he very much does to us every single day. Jesus is calling us to his open arms. This is the very same way in our relationship with Jesus. When we have opportunities to serve the Lord, it is so easy to get caught up in the religion aspect rather than the relationship. We do things just to do things. I've grown up in the church my whole life, but I didn't realize till around two years ago that I really did believe that my worth in Christ was based off my duty, my service, and my respect to God. 
Titus 3, 5 opposes that idea straight on, and it reads in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Titus, reading, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We serve Christ not as an obligation, but a reflection of love for God. Matthew 7, 22-33 reads, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Harsh words it may seem, but is it clear when our eyes are not on Jesus in the work and in service, it simply is not for the master, but it is just to complete the mission. Keeping our eyes on Jesus and the work as a Christian is key to being in a relationship with our Lord and Savior. The second point I want to propose to us today is a storm of life. As we can see here in the story of Peter, um, Peter is walking on water and there's a storm around him and he is panicking. So we are to keep our eyes on Jesus in this storm. But before I move on to that point, I want to ask us all a real quick question. Have you ever experienced a storm of life before? Where everything seems to go against you? The wind and rain crashing against you, hurting you? Or the cold and dark, gloomy days where it seems to be no hope whatsoever? Or maybe it's just so cold and dark that you're just so lost and you just feel stuck. You don't know where, what to do, where to go, or where to even search for help. Raise your hand if that's been you. I know it's been me. I've only been alive for 19 years, and it's crazy to think that encounters that I've had in my life. And I know, and I, I have, and sure some storms are worse than others, but we all will eventually face them. It's life, right? Just a couple weeks ago, I was in a storm, and it still feels like I am at this moment. If you can't tell, college certainly has its ups and downs. But one thing after the next, I was getting swallowed in by the waves of confusion and uncertainty. I was days past of paying my school bill for the month, and I was nowhere near meeting that necessary goal of funds to pay for school. And if I hadn't, I would have been withdrawn from school. I'd probably be back here. And with that, I was so confused about relationships and friendships and just uncertainty in my life. And I was just sick and tired of everything. And sin was overwhelming me. And it seemed like I had no hope. I was in a storm. Well, there's this man in the Bible that we all know and love, and his name is Job. Now, Job was a very good man, had an amazing family, perhaps the wealthiest man in his area, and loved the Lord wholeheartedly. But just one random day, everything was gone. All livestock, family, and fortune was gone in the blink of an eye. A storm swept in. Job literally had lost everything. I mean, we can't even fathom what that's like, losing everything. But at the same time, we can because we've all lost loved ones, felt the brokenness in our hearts. But in the midst of this storm, Job had his eyes on something completely different than his struggles. There's a couple verses that I would love for us to look at in Job. The first one occurs in chapter 1, verse 20. And this occurs moments, literally moments, after everything is taken away from Job. Once I get there. Verse 20 of chapter 1. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship. I'm going to read that one more time. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, 
and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Fell to the ground in worship. That's crazy to think that moments before this verse was said, Job was literally dealing with everything gone in his life, and he fell to the ground in worship. I, I, I try to picture myself in a situation even close to this. Would I, would I be able to have a reaction somewhat close to that? And it's crazy to think. Well, there's a couple of verses ahead in chapter 2 where Job is having this dialogue with his wife, perhaps the one person that he would want to be there with him, who is still alive. And Job is having this conversation with his wife, and his wife wants him to abandon God, because after all the harsh and brutal things that God has supposedly done to Job, and Job replies in verse 10 of chapter 2, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Where were Job's eyes? They were upward and looking at God. Yes, Job had lost everything and was confused, sad, and angry, but he did not dwell in his circumstances. Job turned this tragic situation into an opportunity. You know what? Let's look at Jesus, the life of Jesus. There are multiple days in his 33 years of life where we can just assume that he has the right to weep, to run, to shout, to curse, to praise, and to doubt can calm the chaos from peace to perplexity within moments the living son of God's own world turned upside down. Multiple days in his life. And there's one day that I want to focus on right now. And his day begins with the news of his cousin, perhaps his, one of his best friends, John, was beheaded by the Romans. And his day continues when he receives the news that the very same people that are trying to, that killed John are the same people that are trying to kill him. And at the same time, he has hundreds of people following him, hoping to witness a miracle. Can you imagine how stressful or draining that day is for Jesus? It's incredible. Jesus set out to a very solitary place on a very different day. This day also, hours before his crucifixion. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He sets out to a very solitary place hours before he is hung on a tree for people that don't deserve him. And in Luke 22, 42 writes, Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me. Not my will, but yours be done. What a powerful verse. Sure, they may have happened at two different times, but the the narrative is still the same. Jesus, Jesus places his will in God's hands. Yes, he was human, and yes, he was God at the same time. The very own Son of God was in a storm of life, but he willingly gave into God's will for his life. It's very easy to get caught up in a storm. Either the storm comes out of nowhere, or it comes because of what we did to ourselves. Both Job and Jesus had their eyes on God on their most trying times in their life. And they both looked up to God of the heaven. Storms will come at any time and can contain anything. It could be the loss of a loved one, a scary sickness, financial struggles, sin overwhelming you. But as crazy as it may seem, storms are meant to develop you, not destroy you. You may not be strong and powerful, but you sure can be wise. And the wise thing to do in any storm is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Isaiah 43, 2 reads, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Psalm 34, 4 reads, 
I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David sought the Lord in his struggles. He looked up to the Lord. His eyes were on God. I can assure you that whatever storm you are going through, there is a promise in the whole Bible. Some sort of man or woman will go through a storm, but just about all of them are not focused on their adversaries, but they are focused on God's possibilities. Looking back at Matthew 14, we are just almost similar to like Peter. The waves are crashing against us. The cold and brisk sea air is causing shivers. Peter is scared, confused, and lost. Peter seems to be hopeless. But Jesus' voice calls out to him, wanting Peter to come to him. Peter begins to walk the waves. Let's not forget that this fully human man, Peter, is walking on water. But he looks around and he sees the dark, how dark and gloomy it is. He sees the ginormous waves approach him. His eyes are now off Jesus. But then Peter begins to sink. He is now freaking out in fear and worry. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink in the storm. He found his circumstances around him more appealing than Jesus, the very own son of God. Peter screams out to the man in front of him to save him. Jesus immediately does so. Safe to say that verse 31 just proves that God will not give us more than we can handle. Going back to when I was in my storm just a couple weeks ago, sure, I have made created majority of it by causing of late night Taco Bell runs at 12 a.m. or spending money on NFL jerseys of players that won't be on the team on two years. And yes, my sin caused me to reap what I sow, but God gave me a unique opportunity to develop, not to destroy. I remember one night, I was so hopeless and lost and confused. I was hunched over my bed. I don't remember the time, but I was, I was just so hopeless. Tears were falling from my eyes, and I was just in pain. I felt like I was broken, and it seemed like I had no hope. I was confused and stressed about everything. My school bill was way past due, and I had nowhere close to the funds to meet it. I was prepared to receive a call to be withdrawn from school. I would be heading back to Rockford as a disappointment or a letdown. And... With that, I was confused about relationships and friends and other situations going on in my life, and I seemed to have no hope dealing with my sin. I was hopeless. I really was hopeless, but man, that very second, you cry out to God in the help of search of hope. That's the game changer. The very next day, I was sitting at my desk writing a seven-page paper on circumcision from my Acts class, when my phone began to ring, and I was receiving a call from the financial services office at Ozark. And at that very moment, I was freaking out. I was like, great, this is it. This is the end of my time at Ozark. I didn't even make it a full semester. I was going to be headed back to Ozark. The person on the phone was here to inform me that I was going to be kicked out of Ozark because I didn't have enough money to pay for my school bill. And it seemed like the world was caving in at that moment. I picked up the phone, and the lady on the phone informed me that some generous older man who I had no idea had paid for my school bill that month. And to this moment, I am still in awe. And if I ever meet that man, I, it's incredible. I still shake my head. But nearly 24 hours earlier before that moment, I was crying with no hope or solution to be in search anywhere near me. I was so sick and tired of dwelling in my troubles, I finally sought the Lord. Do not see it. The second your eyes come off of Jesus, you will sink. But wow, the 
the second you direct your eyes on Jesus, change begins to occur. For some of us, we're in a storm right now. And sure, some of us won't have blissful and wonderful experiences like someone paying your school bill when you need them to. I can't count on that every month where someone's going to generously donate money for my school bill. I cannot count on that. For some of us, it really seems like God is not there. But he is. It may seem that your storm will never end and there is no good in it. There is a man in the Bible and his name is Joseph. If you can't tell, I really like the J names. But Joseph may be a tad bit relatable for us. The punches keep rolling. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. Joseph's story is a prime example of that. Joseph had literally everything go the way that any ordinary human would hope it would not. His life began being hated by his siblings and his family, and then he's thrown into a pit, left for dead, where he's sold into slavery. And then with that, while his family thinks he's long gone and dead, he is accused of assault to Potiphar's wife, and he is sitting on a prison cell for who knows how many years. As you can see, Joseph keeps rolling with the punches. I'm sure the punches hurt, and they may, never, they may seem like they never come to an end, no end in sight. Safe to say, hope was lost for Joseph. But just like Job and Jesus, Job looked upward. Joseph looked upward. If we were to look at Joseph's life as a whole, it was the majority of his life when he was in this storm. Years and years passed with no hope in sight, but Joseph did not give up. Joseph had every reason to, to give up through all the situations that he had. Joseph trusted God in this storm. Joseph knew that God would not bring him this far for nothing. Joseph held on to hope. Joseph consistently looked upwards at the Lord and kept trusting him. And it's no easy thing to trust the Lord. Joseph knew God would have never abandoned him and left him for no good. If we were to look a little further in Joseph's story, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. After years of years of rolling with the punches and constant troubles coming his way, there was hope. Joseph was awarded the second highest position in Egypt. Not only that, but his very own brothers, yes, the ones who left him for dead, came to him asking for help. Yes, Joseph had to wait years and years, but he knew God would not just abandon him after all that he had gone through. It's crazy to think about. Romans 8.28 shows this exactly. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Yes, some of us will go through struggles where we won't have amazing things, like I said, where our school bill be paid, or amazing stuff like that. Maybe some of us are just like Joseph, where no hope may even seem like it's in the radar of anywhere near us. As said before, storms are meant to develop you, not destroy you. And it's crazy to think that you could go through any situation, and the purpose of that is to develop your character. And would I see it as worth it? But you will grow closer to Jesus if you truly rely on him. God is faithful and will never forsake us. Sure, sometimes we're going to have to wait maybe months or maybe even years. But God is faithful through any and every storm. The third point I want to leave us with today is a question. This question can really direct your relationship with Jesus in, in service and in storm. And that's, 
How do you view God? How do you view God? This question will settle how you do your work for God and how you look at your storms in your life. How do you view God? For the longest time, I viewed God as this distant, old, old white beard, angry police officer who I had no connection with. And it's nothing but that. That mindset and how I viewed God shaped my service and how I handled situations in my life. I really was buying on the religion aspect of my faith rather than a relationship. Dare I even call it faith? After church service, I would help my dad stack chairs and move tables, thinking that it would get me any inch closer to the gates of heaven. I would serve at places like Rock River Christian Camp, expecting to make an invisible judge proud. But man, I was so wrong. I feel stupid looking back at my thinking and how corrupt it was. Thankfully, love broke through. Now Jesus is my biggest passion. We could stand here for hours and hours talking about men and women in the Bible who looked at God the right way. People look at God as their Savior, their Messiah, their Lord. But there's a story in Exodus 16 where the grumbling Israelites, and to set the stage for this a little bit, the Israelites had just weeks before had been set free from harsh slavery, countless years of slavery in Egypt, and the Lord had done that. And now they were in on their way to the promised land, and they were in the desert where it's hot, and they're all hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're lost. There's no GPS or Grubhub or anything. They have, don't have that stuff. They're hungry. They're lost. They begin to think that the God who had supposedly freed them from slavery in Egypt was also the God that was bringing them out to the desert to starve, to die of thirst, to be angry at. They literally had thought God led them out there to kill them. After weeks, literally, had, God had just saved them from harsh slavery in Egypt. They had lost their sight on him, and they thought they were going to die in the desert. Soon enough, the grumbling and complaining came at an all-time high but Aaron and Moses reminded them what God did and is doing. Because of that, manna began to fall and quail, which was food for them, which the Lord provided, appeared there as well. The Israelites had a distorted view of who God was, hence their grumbling and stumbling. But they remembered what God had done for them, and their mindset on God had changed at that moment. We should be the same way. Remembering the gospel... There's two verses that are very well known that just really exemplify who God is. I mean, you can say this one with me if you want. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that we, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. After hearing these verses, it's hard to picture as God as some old, distant, white-haired, angry police officer. He is the Lord who holds all things together. In the palms of his hands. Not only, but he gave up his only one and only son to save all of humanity. When we begin to look at God as our Savior, our hope, our cornerstone, our life, our anchor in the storm, good things will begin to happen. 
Yes, a storm is inevitable in life, but you know what? An anchor is immovable. So what is your anchor? Your anchor is who you view God as. If you view God as I did three years ago, you're going to sink fast and harshly. But when you look at God as the one who saves us and loves us, change occurs. Going back to my experience I just shared a couple minutes ago, when I looked around my storm and I saw the waves of hurt and the drops of rain of confusion, I began to stumble. All hope was lost and time seemed to be confusing. At the time, I had thought that my storm was greater than my God. I had thought that my circumstances were bigger than the God who rose from the dead and saved all of humanity. The last part of Jesus walking on water with Peter, there is a part that tends to get overlooked sometimes. It occurs in verse 33, right after Jesus reaches out and saves Peter. And the crowd of disciples in the back exclaim in verse 33, You really are the Son of God. You all may be asking, what can I take from this? Well, I'm glad you asked that. If you haven't caught on, our eyes have to be on Jesus. How does one keep eyes on Jesus, you may ask? Fixing your eyes on Jesus is turning your attention to the instruction and the position of the Lord. To keep our our eyes on Jesus, we are to truly focus on Jesus. Surrounding ourselves with Jesus 24-7, creating a daily routine with Christ, eliminating distractions is key. I know from personal experience the past couple months, I have centered my passion around my favorite football team, the Titans, as they hopefully make it to a Super Bowl here in the coming months. I focused on that rather than the very own Savior of the world. Something I've been trying to do recently is eliminating my phone. And at my age, people rely on their phones like it's the Bible. They can find help on there that you can't seem to find out anywhere else in the world. I've been wanting to get a flip phone. I know this may sound stupid, but I have been wanting to get a flip phone so badly now just to eliminate the distraction of my, my phone that can access or do anything that I command it to. I find myself on social media more than the Bible. The only way to find your eyes to the Lord is you have to know him. To know him. Not intellectually or educationally, but to know him. And to know him is to learn about him in the scriptures and to read the stories of God in the past generations. To also keep our eyes on the Lord is to communicate with him, to pray to him, to engage in whole heart conversation with our Lord and Savior, and our eyesight will truly be 20-20 on him. I want us to look one more time at Matthew 14. But this time, you can close your eyes and just picture this scene and just really listen to the words of this story. We begin reading in verse 22. As soon as I get there. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. As we leave here today, I want us to be reminded to keep our eyes on the Lord. It's so easy to get caught up in the mission rather than focusing on the master. Focusing on the religion aspect rather than the relationship aspect in our faith. Or maybe some of us are in a storm that just feels like it's tearing us apart. We can't seem to find direction in or hope seems anywhere but close to us. I'm sure some of us are sinking in our storms at this very moment. But where are our eyes? Are our eyes focused on completing the work and mission rather than the master, Jesus Christ? Our view on God determines how we look at God. So how do you look at God? Do you look at him as the savior of the world who you owe your life to? Is he our anchor holding us together in the storm? Jesus is wanting us to be in a relationship, not a religion. For those that seemingly have no hope in your storm, your storm seems to be no end in sight. I can assure you that there is hope. It may take years and years, but remember, a storm is meant to develop you, not destroy you. For those who are barely above water and literally feels like they are drowning, I encourage you to talk to our leaders here at Central. There is a bunch of them here today. Maybe the person sitting next to you or the person that brought you here today. With that, I encourage you to see where your anchor is. Where is your anchor? Is it something that will sweep away with the waves of the storm? Or is it the creator of the universe that you are leaning on? And for all of us, as we leave this place, let's fix our eyes upright on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so beyond thankful of this opportunity that you have presented for me and this congregation here. I don't deserve to be up here or anything close to that. Lord, it's because of your grace and your mercy and your love that we are here. And Lord, I know that there is a bunch of us that are going through storms right now where it seems no hope, no hope at all is close to us. Lord, as we leave this place, let us be reminded that we shall place our faith in you, strictly you. And as we do things because of you, let us do things because we love you and we want to serve you because we love you. And Lord, for those that have a storm that just seems no hope whatsoever, seems to be in sight, be with them and encourage them to look through the Bible and just truly know you, to know you. You encourage them and step with them every step of the way of their life that there is hope. Reassure them that there is hope. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity. I'm very thankful of the message that you have presented all of us today. I continue that this week that we truly set our eyes on you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.